You are listening to Checkbox Outreach, a podcast that showcases excellence and raises awareness of current issues from those who are directly impacted, but typically not at the table. Now, here are your hosts, Aaliyah Gaskins and Katie Leonard. Hi, welcome to Checkbox Outreach. This is Katie. And this is Aaliyah. And we are excited to have you back for another episode. Today, we are speaking with Edgar Jatu, and Edgar is the founding principal of Athicium LLC, which is an HR consulting firm. He is also the executive director for Workplace Fairness, and he's passionate about workers' rights, and particularly this question of what will it take to do right by workers, especially minorities, and how do we leverage our HR systems and our networks in order to create a better system that actually supports our workers in the way they deserve. So welcome to the show, Edgar. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we are super excited to have you. Since I first met you, been super impressed with your leadership qualities and your insight, especially in the areas of HR practices, law, and workers' rights. So I'm so excited and so hyped for this conversation. Um, so let our listeners know who you are. Tell us about yourself. Sure. Um, so I'm Edgar Jatu, and I founded Afikim LLC about a year ago, and we work with organizations with 1 to 100 workers um, on all types of HR matters and, and projects. And I also am the executive director of Workplace Fairness, which um, educates the public about uh, workplace rights in all 50 states and under federal law. And so with COVID-19, we've done a lot of updating of our pages to ensure that the public is aware of you know, existing laws that might apply to them you know, during this time and, and a lot of the new legislation that has come out um, in March and April um, across all 50 states and under federal law um, to help um, employers stay um, in business and also to keep people employed. So. Um, so it's, a lot of work has been done in the past couple of weeks um, to stay abreast of um, all the COVID-19 changes. Great. So when you reached out to us, we were struck by, you said, you know, right now we need to be thinking about how do we reimagine HR in light of COVID and also how do we plan for this world post-COVID-19? Mm-hmm. You just said a lot's been done um, around this question. I'm curious, what are we currently getting right? And what else do we need to be doing differently? Um, what are some of your ideas for what needs to change in terms of our response to workers? Yeah, great questions. And I'll, I will start with what we're doing right. I would say that what we're doing right is that for the most part, we're, we're being dynamic and adaptable you know, to something that, uh, well, you know, has come, you know, and people didn't expect to, to, you know, to come. No one, you know, expects to have to deal with a global health pandemic of this magnitude. And it's been heartening to see that in this time of crisis, you've seen a lot of employers and governments you know, make decisions that are dynamic, that are empathetic to, um, to people and workers, and, and, and more importantly, are, are helping people deal with this crisis. Because the thing with, with work is that for many people, you know, work is so integral to your ability to provide for your family, provide for yourself, have a sense of identity, community, to, to feel that you're getting the best of yourself each day, right? Um, if you're lucky to be in a, in a job that brings that out of you. And so when you, when you lose that, you know, it can have such drastic consequences, right, to your mental health and, and, and to your ability to provide, right? And so 
it's been heartening to see that employers are are seeing that telework is a viable option, um, particularly if they didn't see it, that as one before, um, that employers are, are trying to be empathetic to the increasing demands that people have in terms of having to care for themselves or for a loved one that has contracted COVID-19. A lot of parents these days are, are homeschooling their children or, and trying to find ways to keep their children engaged um, so that they can also you know, do their work from home. And so it's, it's been heartening to see employers try to be sensitive about that and, and the other needs that people have um, at, at home. And, and I think that, um, that for, you know, and you can debate whether it, um, the, you know, the, the results have been as an aggregate, you know, positive, but it, it is hard to see that governments both at the local level and federal level are trying to put out resources and good information about how people can not one, not get sick to enforcing stay at home orders or safe workplaces. Um, so it's nice to see that. One of my issues has been, you know, we have the stay at home orders. When you talk about these extra needs of certain groups of people, what does that look like on on the scale of HR for the people that do have to work every day that have these other needs that they can't stay home? Right. Yeah. So I, I believe that for the now and for the future, it's really important that employers really be mindful about creating safe workplaces. And and I think that you're, you're seeing mixed results in, in that regard. You know, some places have been very good about providing PPE or protective um, equipment um, to the employees, whether it's face mask, gloves, face guards, even, um, you know, in some retails, you see that um, they have, um, uh, you know, barriers between the cashier and the um, and patrons um, to help eliminate the spread of COVID-19 since it is an airborne, you know, you can, it is an airborne virus. Um, and even just like having, being more meticulous about the way you, you, maintain work sites, you know, and, and make sure that everything's clean and cleanly, um, you know, and that's really important, particularly for a lot of the employees that are considered essential and have to go into work every day. Um, but you also, so you also are seeing employers not really paying mind to that. You know, a prime example of that is the meatpacking industry. You know, there's, there's been tons of reporting as to how in, in that industry, you're not seeing social distancing being enforced, you know, and you're not seeing people feeling as if they're in a safe work environment. Um, and so, you, you know, you're seeing people walk off the job or strike um, until employers provide a much more safer work environment. And to boot, you know, what has been sad to see is that the federal government's um, response has not been to do more investigations um, or to answer the complaints of workers, you know, the, the message has been, you know, go to work or else, you know, um, which is not something that you want to see happen in these times because it's, it's not, you know, it's, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't exude empathy for what people are going through. You right, know? Right. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, I think sometimes when we talk about, you know, what do businesses need, we tend to, especially at our federal and state government, lump businesses into one category. So let's support business, but we forget about the different types of businesses and the distinctions and different challenges they might be facing. 
given that you work with businesses that are a hundred employees or less, like what are some of the unique challenges they face in terms of creating these safer environments or being responsive to the different needs of their workers and worker safety? Yeah, I, I would say that the the main um, issue is one budget, right? Like, you know, can we afford to even stay open? <laughs> you know, I think it's one of the exactly yes, the, the, yep, the bigger problems that a lot of small organizations, picking in the for profit sector or private sector are facing and then b it's you know how do we you know if we can have people on site how do we stay operational if people are working remotely or in limited circumstances you know and is that enough um to still be able to afford salaries to afford benefits if if, if that's offered and and other uh, other expenses right particularly if you have a brick and mortar location like a restaurant so those are some of the the, the big things that you know, small organizations are, are dealing with. And I, I think, you know, it comes down to leadership, you know, and one thing that I've been preaching um, a lot is that, you know, don't make decisions out of fear or out of not knowing something. Now more than ever, this is an, a very important time for leaders of organization to truly uh, either learn to fly or, or you know, or get back to the leadership you know, capabilities that they have, um, which means being honest with people about, you know, their status as an employee or as a worker for you, you know, no reason to hide the ball since, you know, you know, it's very apparent that everyone's kind of going through a tough time, you know, thinking through, okay, what are our options, being creative in your, in your solutions that you come up with and, and having access to good information, you know, understanding what the obligations are as an employer um, what programs are there are are out there to help you stay operational? A lot of times, I get information from other people who are in HR, or I get information the worst way of where you get like a penalty on something to where you're like, oh, I didn't know I was supposed to file that form, and now I know because I had to pay one hundred and fifty dollars. So for yeah. the the business owner that might not have the the structure or the HR department, where are some places that they can get information on things that are changing so rapidly that are COVID related? Yeah, I, I would I would start with getting on good listservs because I and I think the listservs have some organizations have been really excellent in doing information, particularly in bite-sized ways, so you can kind of comprehend quickly. So um, particularly in DC, there's a Main Street program. Um, and, and every economic um, zone in the city has a Main Street organization that that um, services that zone. And they've been pumping out great information about the SBA loans and DC-specific microloans you can get and, and how unemployment's working right now. Just great information out there. Another good source is um, uh, SCORE. Um, SCORE DC has a lot of good um, content and, and webinars you can attend. Um, um, and their scores in, in, in every city, I, I, I'm, that's my understanding. Also, your local Chamber of Commerce has some good information as well. So much coming down the pipeline, and it's it's almost overwhelming being a small business owner of you know a small business that has less than 100 employees, because just like you highlighted at this time, you're you're trying to pivot. You're trying to look at these new strategies that you need to operate and do your sales and your operations. And so the HR, the policies, the guidance just seems like an extra thing you have to do. And I fear that 
for a lot of smaller businesses, if it's not in your face, you're going to miss it. And I don't want that to be expensive for people. The other thing on top of that is, if you think about it, most of our small business administrations or our local government or different agencies that are set up to have resources to support small businesses, they're also working from home. And so it might be harder to get in touch with the employees you need or to ask questions or to get through when you're trying to navigate or sift through all of these different resources. Yeah. Yeah. And I would also add that if, if, if there's one thing that COVID-19 has brought out, when it, particularly when it comes to business owners who are minorities or women-owned business, businesses, is the, the concept of relationships. You know, and one of the challenges that a lot of um, business owners who are minority or women have had is not being able to get access to the Paycheck Protection Program funding because they don't have relationships with banks. I would say that it's... It's really important that any business owner, particularly those who are minorities or women, start thinking through relationships, you know, and whether it's with a bank, you know, I know that, you know, for me, one thing that I always try to do is create relationships with potential clients and and not not necessarily on the basis of trying to get business from you, but just that you have access to someone that can help you in a pinch. You know, um, and, and even on the banking, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the key pieces of advice as a business owner that somebody ever gave me was that that is your most important relationship as a small business owner and not to do mobile banking. So now we can deposit a check on our phone. It's super easy. We sign it, we scan it, we're done. But he told me, he was like, you walk into that bank with every check every single time because they need to see your face and know that you're putting money in their account. Ideally, the money is staying in their account, but when you walk in, they'll recognize you. And that is crucial for business owners, especially during this time and especially business owners of color. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, it's so crucial, you know, to have relationships and, and with other professionals as well, you know, um, whether it's a good business attorney, an HR person, you know, other types of, of lawyers, you know, it's really good to have relationships because, you know, some of these firms are pumping out good information as well. I right? they have COVID-19 resource pages you can read. They have good stuff from their, from their you know, weekly or daily newsletters that are going out there. And, and if you know people in those firms you know, or in those industries, then at the very least, they might be willing to give you 30 minutes to an hour of, of free time you know, just to help you think through your decision making, which is super important. It, you know, it's important at any point, particularly when things are, are quote unquote normal, but I think in a time of crisis, really important you have a good um, structure of support around you from people in different industries so that you can you can make decisions that are sound that well reasoned um, and, and not operating out of fear because that's the worst place to operate out of in time of crisis so Edgar I'd love to um, stay here for a minute I think one of the things that we've heard and I think that we're all feeling real and seeing over and over is that COVID-19 is disproportionately affecting black and brown communities and black and brown businesses. And so in addition to relationship, what other support minority-owned businesses need in order to really come out um, and thrive on the other side of this pandemic? Yeah, I would say that outside of being, a, being able to access good funding, I, I think that one thing that may disadvantage a lot of um, minority-owned or women-owned businesses is just having access to technical help. You know, you're, you're dealing with situations where, um, as we've talked about earlier, there's new legislation being passed almost daily, you know, from the state and federal level. And, and the decision-making that 
a lot of businesses have to make are, you know, are more than just details regarding how to keep a business operational. You know, it's some really important items. And, and more importantly, if you have people that work for you, you're responsible for the livelihood of those, of those individuals, right? You know, which is a tremendous burden, you know, to boot. So I find that access to technical skills, you know, or, or, or knowledge is super important. Um, and, and I think it's one A to funding, you know, because um, you can get the funding, but if you don't know how to use the money um, and make good decisions, then, you know, it, it's for nothing. Absolutely. Um, and that's part of the structure around, I hate to always use this framework, but like the trickle down, right? Like the impacts of your business operations on not only your employees, but your bottom line is super, super important to keep in the forefront of your conversation. And something that we had had in a previous conversation, I mean, I'd love you to talk a little bit more, is the impacts on employees. So when you look at COVID-19 impacts and who's having to show up to work, the retailers, the, the food handlers, what does that look like on the employee side that you're seeing in your work? I would say that it, it's a mixed bag, you know, with the bag being full of a lot of just um, hard stories to hear when, when from people in the front lines, you know. And look, you know, some people are very lucky in that they they work for employers that, again, are trying their, their best to follow the rules and to do extra to ensure that um, the people have to come work for them are safe and, and that there's good morale. But you know, you, you you hear some heartbreaking stories about, you know, I know there was one bus driver, I forget what part of the country, and he had this very just shocking story about how people are coming on the bus and not wearing masks. Oh, or, yeah, and he passed away, he, right? Yeah. He passed away, but like a week later after he, you know, you know, put up the video. And this kind of goes back to just idea of empathy, you know, and not and people not really, or some people not really thinking through you know, how can I make someone's life in this time of crisis better? And it can be small things like wearing a mask, you know, uh, wearing gloves, you know, yeah. keeping your distance, you know, um, making making sure that the employees that come to work for you can go home and, and not feel scared that they're passing on the virus to their, to their loved ones, you know, or if someone has a, has a fever or the sniffles, you know, maybe it's okay for them to stay home. So maybe it's not COVID-19 related, but hey, why, why have someone go out in the world and potentially because of their immune system not being 100% contract the virus because, you know, they have to take a bus to get to work. It's these small things that matter so much and and particularly for workers in minority communities even more, uh, more so than ever, because they are they do, they do make up a large percentage of the low-wage workforce, you know, the people who are deemed essential. And and I, I think it's crucial for America to realize how, you know, how much of reality that is. You know, I think people, I think some people see that, but I think a lot of people don't. Yeah. Um, what you're raising too, and your the examples you shared, is that it's not just empathy for your customer or client. It's really flipping the switch in terms of empathy for your employees themselves and making sure that they have the resources they need to feel safe, to feel healthy in order to do their their best work. Yeah. yeah. I have a colleague who says that's your first customer. Your employees are your internal customers. And so you should be putting them first because that's how they're treated is how they'll treat other people. Yeah. And I think maybe coming out of this, maybe it's a new normal. Like you said, it's not just COVID, but it is, you know, flu season and the common cold. It is finding ways, you know, around parental leave. And when children are sick, how do we change that and supports in place 
that workers have what they need in order to feel secure in their job to take care of themselves and their families. It's going to be a hard conversation given the economic realities of where we are, but it's a conversation that if we don't have, we're going to be dealing with more than just physical health challenges, but mental health challenges as well. Yeah. And and my hope is that as employers have had, and employees that might have had to adapt that people are starting to see that the ways that you can still be successful as an employer that don't require the old ways of doing things you know so whether it's teleworking or allowing for parents to be at home more care for their children whether it's the idea of how we handle being sick in this country you know it's it's kind of awful how we look down on people from wanting to stay home because they have the cold and now because we've been affected by a pandemic, uh, hopefully you'll see employers having better policies around, look, if you're, if you're sick, just stay home. You know, it's okay to stay home. You know, you have the leave, we have a leave policy in place for that. But I think culturally, you know, you don't want people to have to, to look down on someone for wanting to stay home because for being sick. I'd love to have a follow-up conversation some other time about what is that balance? Because I get this, I'm, you know, coming from a public health background, I get the let's stay home when you're sick. On the business owner side, looking at productivity and operations and providing sick leave pay is a very powerful conversation that we're not having to support business owners, because I feel like there's this mandate of paid sick leave, but what does that really look like in numbers when you can't afford it? And I would love to kind of work through that maybe at another time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and the thing is, you know, it, I mean, I think there, I think there are ways that you can implement it where it doesn't necessarily hit your bottom line. Right. I mean, look, I I think that some people would, would be happy to stay home and not get other people sick if their job allows for that, right? Um, so maybe maybe sick day is not necessarily you have to stay home and do nothing, get paid. It could just mean this is a day I telework, you know, because I don't want to get my my colleague sick. It, it could be that creative. I, I just don't think that we've allowed ourselves to have that fluid of a conversation about how we, uh, you know, treat the idea of being sick and coming to work. But yeah, I'm more than happy to have that conversation <laughs> at a later time. So Edgar, one of the reasons why we created Checkbox Outreach is so that our guests could have a platform to not only share their ideas, but to make recommendations for what it's going to take to act differently and move some of these ideas from vision to reality. So I'm curious, um, if you think about some of the topics you've touched on today, from how do we better support workers to um, ensuring that all workers and employers have the technical skills they need for HR and to advance workers' rights. If you were sitting in front of some of our local elected officials, like what what would you tell them? What are the resources that are needed to move these conversations forward? What's like the next step that needs needs to happen? Yeah, I I, I believe that we have to take a very good look at our. Um, the laws and regulations we have regarding um, work, particularly when you're dealing with a crisis situation like this one. Um, because I, I think for the future, one of the big issues we're going to see happen is the idea of privacy in the workplace. You know, because a lot right now, a lot of companies are looking to enact software or, or, or systems to keep track of people's movements in, in, at work, um, to enforce social distancing or to be able to 
collect uh, medical information from people to to figure out if someone might be at risk of COVID-19 or not. And, and that has some very powerful privacy concerns, right? Because as we all know, your medical information is um, is private. You know, not even your employer has access to it. Um, and so it, it's going to be a very powerful conversation that we're going to have um, regarding privacy in the workplace and and an employer's role in in combating um, or preventing um, the next um, public health emergency. You know, it, it's a very powerful conversation we're going to have. And um, and what what I fear most is that because of this, you're going to have a new a new class system when it comes to workers. Right. It's already messed up that we have a class system to begin with uh, when it comes to to the world of work. But, you know, I can see people making the decision to not hire certain people because of this perception that they might be more at risk of COVID-19 or some other level of of infection or disease, um, you know, um, or, or or making decisions in, in the masked by, oh, we're trying to trim staff, but really trying to get rid of certain types of staff people. Yeah. You know? um, mm-hmm. And again, low-wage workers will be impacted by this a great deal, you know, and particularly minority workers, you know. So I think it's a very important conversation we need to have because right now I think the response, while somewhat robust, has been piecemeal and has not really looked at the bigger picture. And I think that has to happen. I'm so glad you highlighted that because that's the conversation we're not having right now. And during this time, it is important for people to have this right now during the crisis conversation, but also being very thoughtful and forward thinking. So thank you for Mm -hmm. shining light on that. Well, we are just super grateful for your time and appreciate the conversation that we had today and the space you made to talk about these issues. Last question for you. How can our listeners engage with you or stay connected to your work? Sure. Um, so I can be reached at edgar at com. That's my email address. I also have a website, ificiumdc.com, um, which also has a blog that has some information regarding HRS practices, particularly in the COVID-19 um, crisis we're in. And I'm also on the social media. So I'm on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So you can find me there as well. Thank you so much, Edgar. This has been great. But thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. It's time for action. Checkbox Outreach is more than a podcast and simply putting a check in a box. This is about impact and moving the needle. Aaliyah and Katie, what are the next steps? Okay, Aaliyah, that episode really showed me I don't know anything about HR and it was very apparent. So thank God for people like Edgar and what he's doing with Aficium. I agree. I am joining you in the struggle right there. I feel like my horizons around the power of HR policies and structures has just been totally broadened. Yeah. And there, and what he's looking at, the lens of looking at employees and workplace conditions and then the policies and the procedures and the requirements behind it. I don't have the patience for that. So I'm really grateful that there are really awesome people out there working on it. What were your key takeaways from the episode? I mean, to start, my first takeaway is that your employee is your first customer and that we need to be doing a lot more in terms of how we think about 
our benefits packages, our policies, our procedures, and our structures within the workplace to make sure that our employees are supported. And I think, you know, kind of going to what we've been talking about with COVID-19 and essential workers and how we dove into that in the conversation, like if our workers and our employees don't have the resources they need to do their jobs well, then we are failing I would argue that our business is failing because the very people we need to show up and be on the front lines for us don't have the capacity or the resources that they need in order to do that well. Yeah. And this was timely with COVID because I think COVID is reshaping how we will do everything or has reshaped how we will do everything. The fact that he mentioned as a small business owner, you're responsible for the livelihood of your employees. And so what are you doing to really protect them and to create an environment that's safe for them? And I feel like prior to COVID, I mean, I worked in restaurants all through college. I remember you get the the book, the MSDS, the material safety data sheets. And they're like, don't touch those chemicals. This is the lemon chopper. Don't, you know, trip and fall. But that's it. And you're in a restaurant, so cleanliness is of the utmost importance. But for the employee health, everything is always so focused externally on the customer and on the client, but really looking at employee health and safety. I'm really glad that we are morphing into having those conversations. The other thing was that was apparent to me when he was talking about we're recreating a class of employees. There's already classism in terms of the type of work that's out there. But the actual class of employee about who might be more at risk for something like COVID or who might be more susceptible really struck me because I was like, wow, as if we need anything else for people to be discriminated. But looking at the frontline workers and who had to show up to work, who literally held us on their backs to get us through COVID were the lower wage workers. And what do the resources look like for them? One, going back to the workplace safety, but two, Knowing that they're the foundation almost of our economy right now, what are we doing as a society to support them and have clear pathways to upward mobility and income, higher income opportunities for mm-hmm. that group of people? I think we definitely need to do a better job through our policies, through our programs to really engage that worker. I mean, I think this speaks to what you were saying around this is a moment to reimagine because if we think about it, or I'll just speak for myself, when I thought of HR, I thought of my benefits package. And when I think of that, I get even more simplistic. I think, you know, can I, do I have health insurance? Can I access the same doctors that I'm using already? Can I get my eyeglasses? And maybe do I have mental health? And that's about it. I think what this moment is causing us to reimagine, and to your point about how do we better support our essential workers, like what's the benefits package of the future? Are there resources in there for transportation, for childcare, for mental health, for, um, you know, if you can't work from home, like what are the other things that need to be put in place so that we're dealing not just with a crisis, but like the basic things people need in order to be able to show up to work, do their best work, and then to come home and feel safe and not have to worry about, am I putting my family at risk because I've gone and done the work we need in order to be able to sustain our housing, our food, and the other things we just need to live our daily lives? Yeah. And that's me having my public health community development hat on. Then when I put my hat on of small business owner, I'm like, that's cool. How are you going to pay for that? How does that support our bottom line? And so we have to have different structures and supports around the policies of paid sick leave and of these requirements of cleanliness because 
If you're a small business and you have paid sick leave requirements and that employee's not generating direct revenue for you through their work, you're upside down. And when you look at minority businesses, there was something I was listening to where they were saying that the average cash on hand for a minority business is two weeks, meaning they can usually float two weeks of operations before they run out of money. And so when you look at two weeks as your typical payroll, if you don't have staff on hand to recoup that money, that is going to put you out of business. I'm not knocking the the requirements. I'm not saying that it, paid sick leave isn't something that we should be advocating for. But when we look at the smaller businesses, there has to be a system in place. There has to be funding in place to really support them because I would hate for people to not go into business because they can't satisfy that requirement. But this speaks to, in the episode, there was a point where we talked about how all small businesses are not the same. All businesses are not the same. And even Edgar talked about he specializes in one particular like segment of the market. That's what we need to be thinking about in our policies and programs and ways that we support small businesses in doing any of this work from the business plan to setting up you know, the payroll structure to the HR policies and procedures. Different businesses need different supports and different types of help. And I, I would want to see us start to get to a point where we're not just crafting like blanket legislation, but there's actually resources to your point of funding that it's targeted to businesses who might need additional support in order to be able to make, I don't know, the comprehensive benefit package of the future. That's where the change happens. That's where we move the needle in this new space. We're not going back to any normal quote unquote that we had before. This is completely new. It's wide open. We have to learn. Again, the funding, the supports and the structures have to be there for that smaller business because I literally can't see how you fund paid sick leave as a as a smaller person. I really don't. Given what you just said, I think we can agree that it's well past time for us to have comprehensive policies around paid leave. I'd also argue I'm not giving up on this benefits package of the future. So it's paid leave, it's childcare, transportation, maybe even housing supports. But I think what you're speaking to is then the ask and the thing that we want to see the action is that any policies that are coming out in that arena need to have targeted resources, targeted programs, um, targeted maybe technical assistance and capacity building supports in order to make sure that our smaller businesses, especially, are able to be able to successfully implement these policies without sacrificing the bottom line or without sacrificing their employees and what they need to do to make sure that that first customer, that first client as their employee is best served to do the work that makes the company successful. Yeah, it's a complete ROI strategy for governments that are funding small businesses, because if you can fund them in the way that they need it, not in the way that makes you feel good about yourself or that checks a box, but if you can fund small businesses to provide the support for what you just said for these benefits packages, you're creating opportunities for employment. You are creating opportunities for those workers to then spend dollars back in your community. It's all around a good economic development play. But like you said before, some of the businesses just need a little bit different resources to get into the game and then win. The whole team wins. Yes. (laughs) All right. 
Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Checkbox Outreach. Our episodes are available on iTunes, on Spotify, as well as on our website at checkboxoutreach.com. Also, check us out on Twitter at Disrupt Outreach.